Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. Happy you guys could be here. Hey, sorry the episode is up a little bit late. Sorry we didn't have an episode last week. Uh, kind of a little nuts. We had the hurricane coming last week, among a couple other things couldn't get up. And then this week, we're having technical difficulties again. Um, I tell you, the internet's a magical thing, isn't it, folks? Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful and terrible at the same time. Uh, I know a couple other podcasts that I, I heard that were having some issues. So I don't know if there's something going around or what's happening. But hey, we got the episode up a little bit late. It's here. We're here. Happy you guys could be here. Be sure to join me here every single Wednesday, most Wednesdays, uh, <laughs> as we have new episodes. Normally every Wednesday morning. Click that subscribe or that follow button. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Today's episode, we're talking treats. Yeah, we haven't talked about treats specifically in either a long time or maybe ever uh, that we've really done a whole segment on it. And we're going to talk about what a treat is, how to use a treat, what kind of treats you should or maybe shouldn't give your dogs. There's a lot of good info in there. Then we're going to be talking about nervous dogs. A lot of adoptions still, maybe some people returning dogs, which I hate hearing. Uh, and I want you to know there is hope with nervous dogs. Definitely take some time and dedication, but we're going to talk more about that too. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, go ahead and send them my way. Dog-related, training-related, animal-related. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's podcast, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what is the fear of dogs called? Yes, what is the fear of dogs called? I'll give you that answer uh, to the question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next on Speak a Dogcast, talking treats. If you own a dog, you have treats in your house, don't you? Not just the kibble. <laughs> you have some kind of treat, whether it's a meaty treat, a, cr a crunchy treat, maybe it's a treat you use for when you uh, take them outside, maybe it's used for when you put them to bed, all these different uh, things that people use treats for. <laughs> and look, there's nothing wrong with reinforcing behavior by using treats. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this. Look, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today can be a little tricky. It can. It starts getting into the psychological side and I mean, hell, it, it even kind of falls on the line of the philosophical side, honestly, uh, <laughs> because treats can be a tricky thing when we talk about it as a concept of what a treat is. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to dive into that, but then we also have to dive into the side of like, uh, you know, what, what kind of treats are out there? What kind of treats should you be feeding your dog? Shouldn't you be feeding your dog? What do I recommend? What's best for training? All these little details, because there are very important details that go into buying the right treats. Guys, there's, there's a lot of junk out there. I'm just being honest with you. There are, there's also a lot of good stuff, but there is a lot of junk out there and you need to know what to look for and what to buy. Okay. Um, but when we're, when I'm talking about treats today, I'm not even like I'm not talking about bones. I'm not talking about like antlers, raw hides. We're not going. We're not. We're not going down that road today. I'm actually talking about specific, more like a training treat. Like you know, you think about the bacon treats and the and the meaty sausage treats and the crunchy and the peanut butter treats. That's what I'm. Fo that's what we're focusing on today when we talk about treats. Okay, now. Timing with treats is also very important. Understanding the concepts, you know, that's that's what we're going to talk about, the concept of training. That's where we're going to start today. It's very important that you understand when to give a treat, when not to give a treat. How about just simplistically, what is a treat, 
Ah, I love that question. This question was asked to me years and years ago uh, by another professional. And he said, David, what's a treat? And this is when you know, I was still learning. I, <laughs> I'm always still learning, right? But this is when I was definitely younger and, and uh, did not have as much knowledge as I do now. Definitely didn't have the background in the, the psychology side of it quite as much as I do uh, now. You know, And so he asked me, what is a treat? And I'll never forget not being able to answer it. You know, I'm going, well, I mean, it's food. <laughs> like, oh, it's a reward. I, I don't know. Uh, it, <laughs> and it's funny because I can hear you guys out there, right? When I ask that question, I can hear you're, you're in your head going, well, David, it's a reward. Like, it's a treat. It's a piece of food. You're just saying these things. And while those are true, ready for it? A treat unto itself is not reinforcement necessarily. Okay. Like the definition of positive reinforcement, I'll ask that one. How about that question? What's the definition of positive reinforcement? The answer most of the time is going to be, oh, a treat. It's what most people say to me when I ask that, a treat. And I'm going, well, it's half right. <laughs> That's a type of positive reinforcement, but treats are not the definition of reinforcement, of positive reinforcement, of negative reinforcement. Oh. Okay. We haven't talked about positive and negative reinforcement in a while. Um, but I, I highly recommend go back, check out the segments, guys, because it's important. It's important that you understand what positive reinforcement is and negative reinforcement is. We're going to maybe scratch over it a little bit today, but we're not going to take that deep dive because, look, it does get tricky. It can get complicated. And, you know, it's 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 psychology 101. You know, I mean, that's what it is. It's psych 101. And you have to understand it from that kind of textbook perspective to some degree to be able to truly comprehend what is a treat. Oh, this is this is this is a tough subject because it's like this. Like I said, we're like bordering philosophical. Like, well, what is good, and how do we do we know good without bad, and who decides what level of good is really really good and not good, and what equals bad, and where does the where does the line, and do you do a bad thing to make a good result, and. Oh my gosh, some people hate philosophy class, right? Because the reality is there is no actual answer <laughs> because it's all a matter of perspective and our own experience. At the same time, we could talk about group thinking, collective and societal norms, and that's how we form these patterns and understand and create, uh, in my opinion, create yin and yang and balance out of our lives uh, because we all do. We all do have a different experience. Bring it all. Okay, let's not, let's not dive down that rabbit hole today because man, make your head spin, right? Um, <laughs> but... Treats. What is a treat? Let's get back to it. What is a treat? Okay, so we have to go back to positive reinforcement for a moment. And I'm going to try to keep this simplistic, but it's, you know, not always the easiest thing. Basically, <laughs> positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus to increase a targeted behavior. Now, I could argue, right, very simply put, that then giving a dog a treat, is a, that's a stimulus. I'm adding a stimulus by giving the dog a treat because, hey, the dog sat down when I said sit, right? Oh, look at that, Fluffy sat. Cool, I'm going to give him a treat because I want him to do that again. So what we're doing is we're actually adding a stimulus to increase the behavior, to increase the likelihood Fluffy's going to sit down again, right? That's what you do when you teach your, when you teach your dog to sit. You're inadvertent, you know, you don't even realize you may be doing, but yeah, you're adding this stimulus. But think about it this way, guys. What happens when you, when you don't have a treat, you ask your dog to sit and you say, go boy and give him a pet. He still wags his tail and still likes it, doesn't he? Ah, so I guess a treat can't just be positive reinforcement because look at that. I added affection and it increased the likelihood that dog's going to repeat that behavior too. So not just treats, but affection too. Interesting. 
I could also even argue, you ready for it? Let's say I'm 30 feet away from the dog and I ask the dog to sit. And the dog sits from 30 feet away, stops dead in its tracks and sits down. Now, let's say it's my dog, right? My dog knows me, it likes me, it wants my affection. If I so much as move toward that dog, what's going to happen? The dog's going to start wagging its tail. It's going to get excited because it knows something good is coming. I'm adding myself. I'm moving toward the dog, adding a stimulus, believe it or not, positively reinforces the behavior. Now, stay with me here. If I start walking toward the dog and then the dog pops up and gets out of the sit, I'm going to stop moving, tell them to sit again. And once they sit down, move toward them again. You see what just happened there? They popped up and stopped doing what I wanted them to, so I stopped reinforcing the behavior by moving toward them. You probably have run through this exercise in some form, and you don't even realize all this is going on, right? I know I'm getting a little tricky. I I promised I wouldn't, but here I am. Um, (laughs) But it can be a tricky thing. It can be. It's, it's kind of straightforward when you think about it. And this is what I always tell my clients. I go, look, if you want to talk about positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, and you want to be able to view it in like a, like a, 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 a pat, like you're working through an issue with your dog, and you want to be able to see it from that perspective of what should I do next? Should I reinforce? Should I punish? I say use a flow chart. In your head, you have to ask yourself in that moment, what is my behavioral expectation for my dog? And then let's just say it's the, the sit and stay, right? So you go, okay, my behavioral expectation is to sit and stay. The dog is sitting and staying. So is the dog sitting and staying? We're going down the flow chart. There's the first question. Is the dog doing the behavior I need them to do? The answer is yes. Good. Positively reinforce that behavior to increase the likelihood that animal's gonna, the dog is going to want to repeat that behavior. Strengthen that behavior. Okay, let's go back to that question again. This time it's going to be a different answer. Is the dog still doing the behavior I need them to do? The sit and stay. No is the answer this time. Oh, well. By the rules of psychology, I know in order to decrease a behavior I don't like, I have to punish it. Now, but we're not getting into punishment. Simple punishment, guys, could be redirecting and asking a sit again. We're not going to get into the details of how that's a punishment, but it is. Um, <laughs> okay. So then I go, okay, the dog sat down. Is the dog doing what I want them to? Yes. Okay, now reinforce it. Treat. Affection. It becomes very simplistic if you let it be. <laughs> Number one. Uh, and number two, if you kind of use that flow chart, understand the concepts and then just simply apply them. I, I compare dog training very much is like algebra. It is an X plus Y, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Gosh, now I'm screwing it up. <laughs> what is it? Equals Y? Geez, how many years has it been? Look at me. Terrible. Uh, but the point is you have these variables. You plug in the variable to get the result. If I need a behavior to increase, I need to reinforce it. Plug in the reinforcement. The reinforcement increases the behavior. The dog's still doing it. Good. Keep reinforcing it. Keep strengthening it. Before you know it, you have a behavioral pattern that you're looking for and creating. So, <laughs> let's go round about back to the beginning. How do we use treats to get there? So, there's the concept side a bit. I know. Very. Whew, whew. Okay. Uh, there's the concept side. Now, the treat side of it, right? The treat side of it. Okay, so treats are a form of positive reinforcement. They are not unto unto itself a form of positive reinforcement, as we've talked about, and hopefully now you have uh, an understanding of if I didn't make it too complicated for you, because, hey, sometimes I go off on a tangent. That's all right. Uh, Good news is you can rewind and listen to my beautiful voice as many times as you want. (laughs) Okay, so treats. Treats are what we call primary reinforcement, 
All right, let's start there. Treats are what we call primary reinforcement. Affection and everything else is called is secondary. Even me moving toward the dominant, that's affection. Uh, everything else is going to be secondary reinforcement. So think of it this way, primary, secondary. Which one's going to be stronger? Clearly the primary reinforcement. All right, look at, and I know you may not want to hear this. Your dog can survive without your affection. I know, David, that's so mean, but they can. They don't need it. They don't need it like they need water and food, right? They can survive without affection. However, they cannot survive without food. That's why food is a form of primary reinforcement and affection is secondary. So therefore, look, hierarchy of needs, right? Safety first, food, water, all that good stuff. That's all in the hierarchy. Safety comes first, okay? Once safety is met, food and water have to come next, okay? Nourishment, being able to survive and live. So... They're not looking for affection if they're starving, you know, they're looking for food. So this is why we have to use treats when it comes to dog training. Look, I'll admit to you guys years and years ago when I very first started training, I was in a way, in a, in a roundabout way, I was anti-treat. I always said, why in the world? I don't want, I shouldn't have to have a treat to get my dog to listen. Do you know why I used to say that? Because I was ignorant and I did not understand what a treat was. Full-blown honesty, guys. It's the truth. Okay. So this is my gripe with a lot of trainers out there is most trainers cannot define positive reinforcement for you, negative reinforcement for you, punishment. Or if they do define it, they give you the completely incorrect definition. I was one of those people, guys. I was one of those people until I was shown the light. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'll never forget it because I was anti-treat. And this other behavior specialist, he said, hey, why don't you use treats? And I thought, I don't have to rely on them. What happens when you don't have them? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. And the reason I felt that way is because I understood treats to be a bribe because most people use them as a bribe and not as a form of reinforcement. Very simply put, guys, treats have to come after the fact. You can't reinforce, you can't give your kid ice cream before they get straight A's. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not going to get, I'm not going to reward any creature <laughs> for a behavior they haven't done. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Now, you can offer the reward and say, hey, here it is. After you get this, that's what we call um, reinforcement sampling. Not the same thing as a bribe, and we're not going to talk too much. We're not, we're not going to talk about that today. Okay. But simply put, reinforcement, in order to strengthen a behavior, the behavior has to happen first in order for you to be able to strengthen it. Kind of makes sense when you think about it, right? How can I re reinforce and strengthen a behavior that hasn't happened? <laughs> you can't. Okay, but most people try to, and that's where they get into trouble with the treats. So we have to know when to use the treats. That's that timing thing I was talking about at the beginning of the segment. We have to understand when the treat needs to come out. Most people will have the treat in their hand and be like, sit or do this or come to me. And it's like, dude, the dog is looking at your hand. Its nose is looking at your hand <laughs> and it's not listening to a damn thing you have to say. But if I ask for what I need first, I have a treat pouch on. Aha. This is why we have to have our treat pouches, guys. Treat pouch is kind of tucked back behind me, right? On my belt. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the treats are not in my hand. And that way I can ask what I need of my dog, get the behavior first, then the treat comes out of the treat pouch, and then I give them the treat. See the order of that? That's very, very important, guys. Very important. I have, you know, I've had clients where they just try to hide the treats in their hands or the pocket is another one and you can't get it out of the pocket fast enough and, or you got a Ziploc in your left hand and you pull the treats out with your right hand, but you also have the leash in one hand and you're fumbling everything. The dog knows the treats are right there and it's not focused on you. It's focused on the bag of treats in your hand and 
understanding what a treat is, reinforcement, understanding reinforcement has to come after the fact, is very important in something as simple as putting on a treat pouch, guys. Most people don't want to, I don't want to wear the treat pouch, I don't want to, blah, 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 blah. Do you want to do it right? Do you want to train your dog? Use treats correctly. <laughs> David, you're wagging the finger. Yes, I am. Yes, I am today. I'm wagging the finger. Put on the treat pouches, guys. Use the treats correctly. Stop bribing your dogs. It's that simple. You will be shocked how quickly your dog's behavior can change. So let's talk about my my old philosophy of, well, what happens when you don't have the treats? Look, dogs are creatures of habit, as we all are, but even more so because they're very simplistic. So if you strengthen and pattern these behaviors enough, consistently enough, the treats can disappear and your dog will still continue to do the right behavior. Uh, you know, my dog's uh, my dogs now even, you know, I don't need treats to get them to come inside. Every now and then we should go back to it and reinforce it and make sure we're strengthening it. But I don't need them to, you know, I don't need to rely on the treat to get them to come in. I mean, it's that simple because we've strengthened it enough. Again, every now and then I go try to go back and strengthen it and keep making sure it's there. But I don't need it every time. Okay. And that's the point. That's what we want to get treats to. Less and less. A lot to start with and then less as we go to the point that we don't need them anymore. Create these patterns and strengthen them enough, right? It's that simple, okay? So now let's talk about types of treats. Now, um, the brand that I use is a brand called Pet Botanics. By far my favorite, 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 favorite treat to use. Um, no endorsements, I'll be honest. This is just, this is just full-blown experience, honesty, that this is the brand I've gone with for, geez, I don't know how long I've been using them now. I've been using them a very long time. I discovered them years ago. Um, look, their bags, bag, giant bags of treats are awesome. You get like over 500 treats in these bags. Uh, each treat is only three calories. I believe you can actually break these things into, into a couple pieces each too. So you can get actually like four or five treats sometimes out of one tiny treat. So do the math well, more than 500 treats. If you do it that way, um, I'm a big fan of the bacon flavor. Definitely. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't eat them. I'll be honest. Don't eat the dog treats guys. <laughs> Okay, don't do that. You don't need to be doing that either. The dogs love them though. That's just it. I love the bacon brand, the bacon flavor because the dogs love them. It's rare I get a dog that turns their nose up at the bacon. I change it up sometimes with their other flavors too, um, but I really like that. Now, in general, for treats, in general, guys, in my opinion, for training purposes, a training treat should be small, it should be soft, and it should be meaty. I want the dogs to be interested, the meaty. Think about the meaty, you know, a dry treat. Granted, there's freeze-dried liver, but don't use too much of those. You'll, you'll give your dog the runs. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the, the meatiness, the small, moist meatiness is very pungent smelling. It's, you know, it gets their attention. It gets their focus. And clearly they taste delicious because they love them. Uh, so that's why I like the meaty treats for training. Another thing is if I'm using crunchy treats and they bite into the crunchy treat and it makes a mess with crumbs everywhere... All of a sudden, your dog is more distracted by what's on the floor and not paying attention to you. And now it's learning to get the treats off of the floor as opposed to treats coming from you in your hand. Okay, the focus changes. And that's why I don't really like crunchy treats as much. Like if it's a tiny, tiny little crunchy treat and they can crunch it much, it's gone. Sure, if they love it. And that's also more to the point. Use a treat that your dog loves. You know, I, I don't, you don't want to use the meaty treat because your dog loves these peanut butter, tiny crunchy treats and they don't make crumbs and they go crazy for them and they're focused on, use what works guys, use what works. 
Uh, most dogs tend to have pretty, you know, pretty similar taste. They like meaty stuff. They like bacony stuff. They usually like peanut buttery stuff. But occasionally, yeah, their taste buds are a little different. And they might like one thing more than another. So use what works. I'm all for that. Now, with that said, keep in mind what kind of treats you're buying. <laughs> okay, I'll be honest. I don't buy anything that says made in China, sourced in China. Make sure you really read that package because sometimes they'll say made in USA, but then you start reading and they're sourcing all the protein from overseas and countries you may not want your dog eating protein from. Um, so something to consider with those treats I just avoid Chinese treats altogether. I'm just going to say it. I, I, I avoid overseas pretty much. That's just it. You know, um, I believe pet botanics are either, if I remember USA or Canada, ah, geez, look at that. I don't even remember, but that's just it. They're made here. You know, they're made here. That's what I like. I do some research on the companies. I like to see where they're from, what they're about. Okay. You're feeding your dog this stuff. And if it's something you're feeding them regularly, you really should know. A little more about it. Look, I don't. I don't expect anybody to be a nutrition expert. I'm not by any means. Uh, obviously, I'm behavior, not nutrition, psychology, not biology. Uh, so I do as much research as I can. I also can talk to my veterinarian, as can you guys. Don't forget, always ask your vets. They're going to have a better idea uh, when it comes to that type of stuff. So uh, always good to know what you're giving your dog. So please be mindful of that. But really when it comes down to it, guys, it's pretty simple. You gotta understand the concept of what a treat is. Don't forget, treats are not reinforcement. Treats are a kind of reinforcement, but they are not reinforcement itself. It's important that you understand those concepts. Go back, check out some of my psychology episodes, Psych 101, Psychological Concepts. There's a lot of different segments on it and really phenomenal information out there. So be sure you check that out, okay? Knowing the concepts, then you have to be able to apply it Okay. Don't forget that flow chart. I really like my flow chart method. It's very simplistic. It's very basic and it keeps it simple for you. You know, there's no reason to overcomplicate training. Training needs to be kept simple. The more complicated, the more things we add, it makes it, well, more complicated. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> okay. As far as types of treats, we kind of talked about that. I do prefer small meaty treats when it comes to training uh, my dog. I want them to be able to eat that treat and it be gone quickly. We want to move on be able to treat our dog a few times in a row if we need to, as well as I like meaty treats because they're pungent, they're smelly, and dogs love to cue into that. Bacon treats are great. Oh, and I did forget to mention duck and salmon treats phenomenal. If you can find some good stinky duck and salmon treats, the dogs tend to really go nuts for that. Obviously duck, salmon, a little more oily, a little more fatty. Um, and dogs really, really cue into that stuff. Uh, so keep that in mind as well. Don't forget, always check the packages, see where your treats are made, sourced, all of that good stuff. Very important. You know what you're feeding your dog. Always when in doubt, guys, ask your veterinarian. Uh, so I hope that kind of clears up some maybe misconceptions or information going on there about treats. And hey, Get out there, train your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. 
Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The nature of training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Nervous Dogs. This is whether you have to interact with a nervous dog on a regular basis, you adopted a nervous dog, maybe your dog's always been nervous, um, you know, and you've had them since they were a puppy. We're going to talk about nervous dogs in general and how we go about trying to fix some of that. Now, look, we're humans and <laughs> most of us are, and we try to reason, right? We try to reason when we're coping with nervousness, right? Even ourselves, we try to reason with ourselves and say, you know, the situation's not so bad, we'll get through it. You try to present reason to conquer your fears or your nervousness. But here's the thing, dogs don't have that ability. They don't have the processing capabilities to reason in the way that you or I do. If they did, they wouldn't be dogs, they'd be people, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious when you think about it. But as humans, we have this really bad habit, don't we, of, of humanizing, of anthropomorphizing animals. Now, we can blame Hollywood and, and, and you know, all that kind of stuff for, for the amount of anthropomorph, you know, anthropomorphizing that goes on in, in movies, especially like animated films. And stuff. But it's kind of human nature, too. We're putting our own feelings and our own emotions, our own baggage sometimes, onto the dogs, onto the animals. We're taking our own stuff and mirroring it toward our dogs. And so that's that's what we're going to start is dogs that maybe, and, and I've heard it before where I've had him since he was a puppy and he's always been like this. He's always been nervous. You know, I, I hear that one. And the thing is, guys, dogs aren't just born nervous. They're, they're not. Something happens, and it, it can potentially be in the first few weeks of their life. That is possible before uh, a person ever gets that dog. It is possible to have a traumatizing experience. But the thing is, they're so young that when those experiences happen, while yes, it can send them down a bad road, if you do the right things, it can actually reverse all that stuff. And it'll be like the dog was never nervous to begin with. Or, you know, for the most part, should I say. Uh, may, may still have some tendencies and such, but, you know, point is we can conquer these things if we have the right information. But a lot of times, right, a lot of times, if a person adopts a nervous dog or gets a dog that's, you know, a young puppy and they've got it, it's nervous, and people tend to try to treat it in the way that humans do with other humans. Again, here we back to the, you try to reason with the dog. You try, it's okay, it's okay, we're petting them again, it's okay. And look, you know, it's interesting because I'll often hear with an adopted dog that, you know, I get the phone call and that's usually what people are doing to try to calm the dog. Then they'll say, oh, the dog has come so far. And this is the tough part, right? Like, hang, like, check this, right? I have a client, I have clients who will call and say, you know, we adopted this dog. This dog has been nervous since day one, came to us with issues. Okay. You know, fair enough. And it's gotten so much better in the few months we've had the dog, but all they've done is it's okay. It's okay. And I can hear people out there going, well, David, they were reasoning with the dog. They were comforting the dog, and it made the dog better. You've said in the past that comforting a dog when they're nervous makes it worse. Well, here's the thing. Think about the dog's life before it walks into a wonderful, nice, loving, caring home. 
It's not to say that your dog isn't going to appreciate love and caringness at some point. What's happening is your dog is going from a, you know, this adopted dog is going from a really poor situation to an awesome situation. You know what I mean? Before being adopted, you know, who knows the, the, the just laundry list of things that this dog could have potentially gone through. And then all of a sudden, one day they're plucked up, they're put in the scary shelter for a little while, okay, yeah. But then they get to this palace. <laughs> it's air-conditioned. There's comfy beds to sleep on. The people are nice to me. They feed me food. And again, I hear, and this is very common, I'll hear the progression of, you know, the behavior's gotten better. She didn't used to eat, now she's eating more. Still not great. And there it is. Still not great. She still barks at people. She's still nervous around people. She still won't listen. She still won't do this in this instance. She's, still, she's nervous in that. She won't listen. Bah, 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 bah. Okay, so what I'm saying is it's not the comforting reinforcement of the owner that has calmed the dog down and made them more comfortable. It's the environment. Because if it was the comfort of the owner, the dog wouldn't still be nervous. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> it would have fixed it all the way if that's the way we do it. But what ends up happening, and this is how, you know, this this happens all too often, where one person ends up getting giving the dog a lot of love, all of a sudden this dog has never had love. We go from never having love to an extreme of way too much affection to the point that the dog starts to rely on it, becomes a crutch for the dog. It becomes an emotional crutch. And then what happens is the dog obsesses over the one person and can't do anything without that one person there. Might sound familiar to some of you. <laughs> so again, I'll have naysayers and people go, well, David, I've calmed my dog down and it's made them better. It's made them better, but has it fixed it? It's made them better, but better is not no anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to, don't get me wrong, I love when people make any kind of progress, but you have to recognize what got you that progress. It was a change of environment for the dog, for the better, of course. Like, kudos to you, you're providing a comforting home, but you haven't fixed, you haven't fixed the anxiety and the nervousness issue. And in fact, taking that, that affection to the extreme is actually still continuing to make the dog nervous, better than where it was, but still continuing to reinforce the nervousness. Yeah, crazy. You have to take behavior and you have to look at it deeper than what it is on the surface. And what it, you know, what I really, what I really mean by that is surface level stuff with people. I feel like is an emotional response. I mean, this is nature, guys. This is what we are. This is humans. But the cool thing about being human is we can overcome a lot of our. Uh, bad stuff, a lot of our, our you know, uh, uh, misconceptions. We can go back and go, oh, I can look at that differently. And my, my initial response to that was not correct. A lot of other animals can't do that. Or if they do that, they end up dead, right? Like, <laughs> you can't second guess. We're a very spoiled species on this planet. <laughs> so much so that we can complain about anything, can't we? Oh, man. Um, you know, just 200, 300 years ago, guys, we were happy to survive to, to, to 30 years old. You know what I mean? Like, and look at where we are now. It's just, it's nuts. Uh, <laughs> all right, not talking about that. Um, so, again, you have to understand behavior for behavior for what it is. You, know, you, for, you have to look at the behavior and go, am I having an emotional response? Or am I looking at it for what it is? Again, you know, as I've given the example in the past, you think about therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists in the human world. And I always pose the question, like, why, why do those doctors, why do those therapists, why do they gain success with people? What is it? It's not just their education. It's not just their doctorate. That's a huge component, of course. Um, but that's not, it's more than that. It's the fact that they can come in 
as a third party, an unbiased person to the situation, assess it with their education and knowledge, be able to see what's going on and give an unbiased response on how to go about fixing these issues, right? So they look at it from a non-emotional standpoint. Not always the easiest thing to do as humans. That's why they have to go to school and learn how to do it. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a learned thing. And, and so it's, it's no different with my job when I tell people with their dogs. I go, look, dog, dogs are a very personal thing, aren't they? They really are. They're, they're a member of your family. How in the world? It, it doesn't really get much more personal than that, does it? So people often take their dog's behavior personally, or my advice perhaps, personally. And we can't do that. We have to look at behavior for what it is. Take the surface level emotional response, put it to the side and go, what's actually happening here? Again, when I have a dog, like just go back to the nervous dog example. I have a nervous dog that we've adopted. And in four months, we've made a night and day difference, but the nervousness has not stopped. So you've plateaued. What does that tell you? Look, the reality is it tells you that you're not giving that dog enough information to come out of the nervousness all the way. It's not personal. It's not me pointing a finger. It's just what it is. We're not giving that dog what it needs to snap out of that nervous cycle enough. It's come down off of it, but that's not out of it. So if I go, okay, well, what I've done is helped, but not made it as be- as good as it should be or could be, then it's something, then it, maybe it's environmental. Maybe it's just changing the environment of the dog that actually made them the least. And again, you're a part of that environmental change as the owner. Of course, you're, you're participating in that. But again, if the nervousness isn't stopping, then it, it, the nervousness isn't stopping. Then what you're doing isn't fixing it. Simple as that. Okay. So this isn't, again, not a personal thing. It's just how we have to look at it. Otherwise, we're putting our own, emotionals, uh, our own emotional responses onto it, which isn't good, right? We're biased then. We can't be biased, guys. We can't be. Can't be when you look at behavior. So that's sort of my job. You know, I'm the <laughs> dog therapist, sometimes a lot of times human therapist. Um, <laughs> and my job is to come in as a third party, as an unbiased third party and go, hey, this is behaviorally what's happening. And I, it's my honestly, one of my favorite moments in my job is when I can take that light, I feel like I just reach above a person's head and I just pull a light, you know, a light cord and I see the light go off (laughs) because I say, Hey, well, what I'm seeing, you know, is, you know, they'll tell me, Hey, we're seeing the, these four or five behavioral things. And we think it's this, it's the dog being protective over me. It's this or that. And I'll go, sounds to me like it's all kind of one big issue. And it's just a control thing. You know, I mean, it's just a diagnosis I see it. And they'll go, really? And I go, well, think about it. And then we run through each one and I show them how I, my perspective from the behavioral side of how this is a control problem and not a protective problem, which is a form of control. Aha. But if they're trying to control other things, not in a non-protective way, then it's not protective, is it? Okay. So the pattern really here is controlling behaviors. And so when I tell someone that and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. Boom, light bulb going off. That makes so much sense. That's like my favorite moment. I love that aha moment because again, what do I always say? My job isn't to train dogs. It's to change your perception as a dog owner about what a dog is. And that's that first aha moment that I have with a client. I love that. Like it's, it's such a, it's a, it's an awesome feeling because to me it takes my client and my dog and their dog, excuse me, one step closer to, to just having that much better of a relationship, you know? Sometimes you don't get the aha moment. People fight you. 
<laughs> they don't want to have the aha moment. They think they do, but they don't. Uh, and that's that's a, that's another part of <laughs> that's another part of it with the nervous dogs, guys. That's another big component. People feel sorry for nervous dogs, and they almost want that dog to need them. Look, I got news for you guys. Your dog is nervous. Your dog is not nervous. Your dog is going to need you one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? Like they're pack animals. They, they want their pack. They want to be fed. <laughs> they want to be let out. They want affection. Um, if your dog is nervous or not nervous, they're still going to need you. You still have to be that leader to them. So I have run into scenarios where people legitimately, I can see it and I have to have to call them out on it, where they legitimately want want to keep their dogs nervous. They, they go over the rescue story and, oh, and it could have been this and I feel so bad and it was that. And this was like seven years ago. And I'm going, dude, like your dog's trying to get over it and you won't let him. It's a problem. It's a problem. Okay. So when it comes to fixing nervous dog behaviors, okay, it's going to require <sighs> tough love. There's no other way to say it. Tough love. Like here's the example. And here's what I'm going to uh, when I adopted my Chihuahua Coco years and years ago, she was terrified of everything. <laughs> I mean, everything. The poor little 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 girl. She's like seven pounds, uh, and she was just terrified of the world. Constantly shaking. She would pee and poop herself. You couldn't try to reach down to pet her because she would just cower. Uh, she was terrified of the crate. She, I mean, it was just she was a, she was a wreck. She was an absolute wreck. And when I brought her home, she just, for whatever reason, glued to my wife. Now, granted, I'm a bigger guy. I have a deeper voice. I, I may have come off as intimidating because she definitely didn't seem to like uh, a bigger person. Now, obviously a little more excusable with a seven-pound dog in general, but hey, she had her issues. So anyway, she really loved my wife way too much to the point that she was starting to like bark at me. And this was within like a day or two of bringing her home. And so I had to tell my wife that you know she had to ignore her. She had to ignore her for, I, I believe it was... It was about a month and a half of full ignoring and then like another month and a half of slowly bringing her affection back in. So what she did is for, yeah, guys, you heard me. I can hear people go, oh my gosh, a month and a half. She didn't give her affection. Yeah, she didn't. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it was tough love. Every time that dog tried to get up on her like a piece of Velcro, she'd say, hey, no, go away. Give me some space. Nothing mean, nothing crazy, but forcing her to not be reliant on my wife. And sure enough, after a month and a half, all of a sudden, it took a while, didn't it? I mean, this was, whew. she looked at me and was like, hey, can I get some affection? And came and curled up with me. Isn't that crazy? A month and people don't want to do what it takes to fix nervous dogs. I'm just being very blunt and very honest. One month and a half. <laughs> Six weeks. A six-week commitment to not give her brand new dog affection. Are you all hearing that? And it worked. And then I could start petting Coco. And then sure enough, slowly we'd bring my wife back into the picture. One little pet, done. One pet a day. I mean, it probably started that can. Exa I remember exactly quantifying exactly how much we did. But it literally would start small. And then we work our way up to a few more pets. And then a little bit more. And then she started walking her. And then started feeding her again. And all, all these other things. But it took a lot of time. It took a lot of patience. And it took a lot of tough love. Okay. Let's talk about Nemo for a second. Nemo was a nervous. I've adopted a few dogs <laughs> and we've adopted some with baggage because, you know, we, we wanted to help them, we wanted to give them a good home. 
And uh, Nemo has been trouble, trouble and a half. He's turning into a wonderful dog now. He really is. He's a sweet boy. Uh, but he was nervous, guys. Nervous as all hell. I mean, my gosh. You couldn't put him in a car ride. He was nervous of cars. He was nervous of cars going by. We couldn't walk him near cars. He'd lunge, bark, go crazy. Uh, pacing in the house. He, when we first brought him home, he'd constantly pace, constantly pace. No matter how much we redirected. Just constant, constant, constant. Couldn't sit still. Was always nervous. Was always looking over his shoulder. Was, I mean, whew. Makes my heart beat thinking about where we used to be a little over a year ago. Oh, man. Um, and you know what it took, guys? Now, again, the different dogs here. Coco, definitely the exercise helped. Don't get me wrong. She goes for nice long walks. But Nemo, Nemo is a blue tick coonhound. I have to understand the breed, too. When it comes to a nervous dog, you have to understand the specifics. If I've got a blue tick coonhound who's nervous... Oh, buddy, I'm going to be walking. You know, I put a backpack on him. We walk, we go uh, for long hikes. We change up our routes. We change up the locations so we can get different smells uh, because they're scent hounds. You know, he's got uh, space to run in my yard. We had to do a lot of structure, routine, all these things to be able to, you know, get rid of that nervousness. And now actually, as I'm sitting here having this, uh, uh, recording this segment, he's out on the couch and you know, my, my, my wife's in the other room working door closed. I'm in, in my studio door closed and he's out on the couch asleep. Could not have done that uh, a year ago. No, there's no way, no way. He wouldn't have been okay with it. it would have been nervous. Right. Um, so a lot of exercise, a lot of stimulation, tough love as well. Right, He wasn't as, fec- as affectionate at first as Coco. He's become very affectionate now once we get him out of his nervousness. Right, So that's how we solve anxiety and nervousness in dogs. Okay, The first thing we need to do is exercise, exercise, exercise. Along with that exercise is a routine. So sort of number one, number two there, exercise, routine. Okay, Third thing we need to do is other types of stimulation, whether that be through playtime, sniff time, uh, mental games like tricks or other you know, agility, those kind of things. Swimming, doggy day camps. That's another great way to help a nervous dog out. Okay, Now again, we have to do all of these things. It's not like pick one. <laughs> pick two things that I'm going to tell you and that's it. No, you've, you've got to do all of this. Taking on a nervous dog is a full commitment, guys. It takes a full commitment on your part to be able to fix these things. Number four, going down the list. Yeah. <laughs> the tough love, guys. You know, the, the knowing when to give reinforcement, knowing when, when to give love and not to give love. It's very important. When the dog is relaxed, that's when you want to give love. When they're pushing up on you and acting nervous and maybe the tail looks a little stiff, and that is not the time to tell them it's okay. It's just not. Your only, your only thing you're going to be doing is reinforcing that anxious state of mind. You need to wait till your dog relaxes, lays down, sits down, calms down, and that's when you should give your reinforcement and love. Okay? Once your dog starts coming out of this nervousness, then we don't have to be as stringent on when I'm choosing to give the love and when I'm not. Okay? These rules really truly more apply to the nervous dog and how we get them out of it. Okay? So you've got to start thinking that of your dog in a different way. You have to start thinking that they think a different way. They perceive the world in a completely different way than we do, okay? So if they're nervous and you give them affection, it is going to make them more nervous or at least the same amount of nervous. <laughs> I've I've watched where we had a nervous dog who didn't like other uh, people and no problem with his family members, but didn't like strangers. And I came into the house and the dog was definitely kind of staring me down and not so certain. And then one of the teenager's kids walked by and goes, hey, buddy, good boy, and pets him. And a second later, after he's done petting him, this dog tries to lunge for me. Thank God on leash and in a muzzle, but and it was a big dog. 
but it literally said, oh, this guy's no good. Got it. Because I'm in a nervous state and you're telling me, good boy, cool. I'm going to lunge at this dude now. Think about it, guys. State of mind is everything with a dog. If they're nervous and you tell them good boy or give them a treat, they're going to keep being nervous. If you give them a little tough love and wait till they relax and then give the treat, well, then you're reinforcing relaxation. Think about what you're reinforcing. Think about what you should or shouldn't reinforce, I guess is really what I'm trying to say there, right? Very important with nervous dogs, guys, but some tough love, some exercise, some routine, and of course, knowing only to reinforce calm behavior is the best way to get your dog over being nervous. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the fear of dogs called? It's sinophobia. Yes, the fear of dogs is called sinophobia. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about James Buchanan. Now, James Buchanan, he was the 15th president of the United States, serving from 1857 to 1861. Now, Buchanan does not necessarily fare so well from the perspective of historians. He is often referenced as one of the worst, if not the worst, president in United States history. Now, he preceded Lincoln as president, and unfortunately, he made some very poor decisions, leading both the northern and southern states to, quite frankly, resent him, and it only edged them closer to the Civil War. Now, only two months after his retirement, the United States entered into the Civil War. James Buchanan is the only president to never get married and also had no children. He did, however, love animals, and his best friend was a 170-pound Newfoundland named Lara. Now, he brought Lara to the White House with him before he was president, and in the mid-1800s, it was actually quite rare to see a Newfoundland in the U.S., and, well, had to always be a sight to be seen for onlookers, you know, often mistaken as a bear. <laughs> uh, you know, and with photography being in its early development, uh, there were actually no pictures of Laura. There were a few sketches drawn for articles that had uh, been written about her, but no actual photographs. Now, Buchanan also had two more exotic birds that he kept. He was gifted two bald eagles from a friend in California. White House was probably not the best place to keep a pair of bald eagles, so he had the birds sent home uh, to his home named Wheatland in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It said there was two cages for the birds on the back porch that were kept. However, they were given freedom to fly around as they pleased, but they never flew too far away, always coming back to home. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jenna from Houston, Texas. Jenna says, I've been dating my boyfriend for about seven months and we've been getting more serious lately, but our dogs have never met. He has a lab that is very social, goes to doggy day camp regu regularly, and is overall a good dog. Now, my dog's a lab mix and he can be picky about other dogs that he meets. We want to make sure that they get along well and we set them up for success. Any suggestions for the first intro uh, would be greatly appreciated. All right, Jenna. So yes, I, you know, first of all, thank you for, for waiting to introduce them. You know, honestly, that, that was smart. Very, 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 very smart. Uh, first of all, it allows both your dogs to smell the other dog on each other when you come home, uh, and, and, you know, smell it on you. And that way they can start getting familiar from complete distance and, you know, at least getting that scent. The other thing is I'm glad you waited because clearly, you know, you want some direction and you're not exactly sure about which way to go with it. So 
even better. It's better that you wait, do it correctly, or at least attempt to do it correctly, uh, rather than doing it the wrong way and kind of, you know, uh, then have to undo that. That's tougher. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing, yeah, you know, look, your dog can be picky. I don't know exactly what that means. Does that mean he can get along well with other dogs? Or does he have to try to control the situation first? Or he gets along with other dogs that he'll be amicable with, but he doesn't really want to play with them? All of that kind of matters, you know, I'll be honest, because, yeah, if, if your dog doesn't really want to interact with other dogs at all that much, this could be a little tough if your boyfriend's lab tends to be more social, more outgoing, more maybe pushy a little bit in wanting to play. So it could potentially create a problem. My, my best suggestion is you always want to meet outside, neutral place, on leash, starting from a distance, okay? If you have the time, you need to take an hour or two to do this, honestly, Honestly, I know, a long time, but you really, you may not take that long, but you need to be prepared for it too, is what I'm getting at, okay? Leash them up, neutral place, you guys go across the street from each other, nowhere near each other, okay, nice and far, and basically you just kind of walk back and forth, not really interacting, not letting them lock eyes or anything, just making it no big deal, walking back and forth from a distance. Once you feel like they start ignoring each other, they're not really looking at, move five feet closer. Same thing, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until they don't really care, so on and so forth, until you get about 10 feet away from each other. A nice, safe distance still. Make sure you're keeping short leashes, by the way. Uh, you don't want any long leashes and out-of-control dogs, okay? And when you get 10 feet away, then you're gonna stop. You're gonna hang out for good five, 10, hell, 20 minutes if that's what it takes. And we're just gonna relax, okay? We're just gonna hang out and see what happens. This way it allows us to assess, are they locking eyes a lot? Is one of them nervous? We sit here for a little while, are they cool with it? If they don't really care, then we can let them sniff a little bit. Now when we do the first sniff, guys, this is a, you know, it's kind of, it's a little harder to explain rather than show. But when I let a dog sniff another dog that I don't know, or I don't know how the situation might go, um, I always want to make sure I'm giving myself an out. You need to approach the dog in a way that you can easily turn around and walk the opposite direction, same with the other person, and so your leashes don't get tangled or anything like that. Always set yourself up for success by having an out, okay? Another thing is you kind of have to dance around with your leash a little bit sometimes when they're sniffing because you want to keep the leash nice and loose. You don't want to provide any unnecessary tension uh, physically that could maybe mentally send them into a nervous state. Okay, so another very important detail. Now, the very, very first sniff we do, we're literally going to let them sniff for a quarter of a second. I mean, split second, and then just turn and walk away, go boy, feed him a treat. Okay, basically what I'm getting at is you wanna keep the interaction short and sweet to begin with so they never build and make them more nervous, and then you can slowly build them up. First few interactions are a split second. Next interactions are two or three seconds. Next interaction, and before you know it, they're gonna probably not even care about each other, and that's what we're looking for. I want them to just not care that the other one is there. If they want to play, don't worry. They'll end up playing long term. But for now, what I'm looking for when I have a nervous dog uh, or an unsure dog, I want them to not care about the other dog and vice versa. Okay? That's all good stuff. Then once you feel like they're kind of cool with each other a little bit, go for a little walk together. Kind of keeping them separate to start with. Okay? Make sure everything's cool. Put yourself and your boyfriend in between and them on the outsides. Okay? Start there. Go for a good walk and then you can go back to the house and try the in-home introduction. Okay? Um, I know it's, it's a process. It is a bit of a process, but it's better that you take your time and make it a process than something bad happen, right? So kind of keep, uh, keep those tips in mind. Next question. This comes from Seth from Potomac, Maryland. Seth says, my mom lives alone and wants to get a bigger dog for protection. I don't really like the idea of my older mother having a large dog that she may have trouble controlling. Is there a breed you would recommend for her? 
Oh, Seth, yeah, this stinks, man. I know, I hear you, because, you know, you want your mom to feel safe, but, you know, I said it a couple episodes ago, where usually my, my general rule of thumb is that if you cannot physically control your dog, you probably shouldn't have it, you know? That's just the truth. At the same time, training is training, and training can be done very, very well, okay? You can get a big dog from a very young age, uh, and train them very well to know not to pull, to not be reactionary at other dogs, to to be able to listen off leash, all those kinds of things where it does make it a lot safer for someone like your mother uh, to have a dog like that. It can be done correctly, but just being honest, most of the time it's not. Uh, you know, look, I'll tell you a little story the other day real quick. Uh, the other day I was out on a walk and um, there's an older gentleman. He has a cane. And he has a, I would say, what, 70-pound dog, maybe 60, 60, 70-pound dog. And he has her on a harness. No, excuse me. He has her on a regular nylon collar that's very loose and a runaway leash. And this guy's on a cane. And he clearly has no control over this dog. And he even says to me, oh, yeah, uh, sometimes she has trouble with other dogs. I said, that's okay. You know, we, we won't say hi today. And he proceeds to tell me about how she got out of the collar and attacked another dog and it was a whole thing and blood everywhere. And isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Just adopted her a couple months ago. I really want to ask, where did you adopt this dog from? And honestly, go chew those people out. Because how ridiculously, uns he's this dog could pull this guy over and, and I mean, kill him. He, she could. She could. This guy could bust his head open. This dog has already hurt other dogs. Why in the world does this person have this dog? Okay, so... The story of them, it's a cautionary tale um, that please don't go out and adopt a dog with issues and then give it to your mom. Now, I don't think you're going to do that. Doesn't sound like it, <laughs> but I have to say it, right? Not just for you, Seth, but for other people as well. Um, because guys, I'm seeing it, especially since COVID, people are lonely, people want protection, all these things. That's all wonderful in theory, but without proper training, without the proper dog being put in the proper situation, it can go very, very poorly. Um, so yeah, a cautionary tale. I'm not trying to scare you, but at the same time, like guys, let's be realistic about this stuff. My recommendation honestly is not necessarily a specific breed. My recommendation is you get a very small puppy and you raise them right. You either hire a trainer, start reading books or do whatever you need to do because that's the correct way to do it. It can be done. It can be done if you do it right, but it takes a ton of time, a ton of consistency and a ton of dedication as does any dog with training. Okay. Um, throwing that out there, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, this is a tough thing. I don't, I wish I had a more straightforward answer for you on this, but it's just not, it's not that straightforward. Um, look, there's one other option you can do. Look, if money is no object, they are, there are plenty of reputable organizations and companies out there that are training protection dogs. It's not something I do. Um, I, I don't do it. It's not, not something I want to do, uh, but it can be done correctly and it can be done very well. And I don't have a problem with it done correctly. Uh, and again, there are very, very good organizations out there that do wonderful training. And those dogs will listen on any command. Those dogs don't have a problem off leash. And those dogs would be a hell of a protection dog for your mom. Um, something to consider, but it is a huge financial investment. So, uh, you know, a little bit, that's just, I mean, but doesn't that tell you right there to make a good guard dog? It costs a lot of money because it takes a lot of time. Consistency. What did I just say? Uh, dedication. That's why these things cost a lot of money. So yeah, you know, I'm all for a dog for protection a bit, but just be careful and be smart about the way you're going about it. <music> 
wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. And if you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.